you will, take your Bible and see, turn to the Scripture on the screen, Revelation chapter 15. Revelation chapter 15. I will tell you that we're going to be back in the Revelation for the next three or four weeks. And then we'll take a break until after the first of the year. And then we'll finish our study of Revelation at the beginning of 24. Title of the message today is Preparation for Judgment. Preparation for Judgment. I'm giving you just a second to find that scripture in your Bible because I want you to look to the screen because I want to introduce the lady to you. Some of you will know her. Her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. When Johnny was 17 years old, 1967, she dove into water that was too shallow and rendered her a quadriplegic. If you do your arithmetic, that's 55 years. In these 55 years, um, she's learned a lot of lessons, but she's become an artist. She's become an author. She's become an influencer and even a motivational speaker. And I'll tell you all of that on the front side so that you'll pay attention to what she's about to tell you. She says, God never places any real emphasis on the present except as preparation for the future. I would dare say that she has some background with which to say that. She was an athlete. She had a, a rousing future ahead of her, so she thought. And now she looks back on that event in 67, 55 plus years ago, as preparation for what she is today. The truth is, the message for us today comes in many dimensions, but today is preparation for tomorrow. Now is preparation for then. This life that you're living is only boot camp for eternity. In other words, what you do today determines, are you listening, teenagers? What you do today determines what you will be and what your future will be tomorrow. For now, 14 chapters, we have been studying the end time events as recorded by John, as given to him by Jesus We call the book The Revelation. We have watched judgment after judgment happen. We have seen the seven seals snap that we know about the horsemen. We know about the judgment that went out from there. We have heard the seven trumpets sounded. We've watched the judgment going out from there. And we know that between the fifth and, uh, excuse me, the sixth and seventh of each of those, that God has provided a a window for people to respond because you see up to now, God has been giving people a chance. People on earth, people living in bad times. Rapture's gone, but he's given them one last chance to make the right decision. You see, now we come to verse, to chapter 15, if you will. And we discover that God's judgment has been like a pot of boiling water. It's boiling over. It's boiling up. And today is the final preparation 
as we read these eight verses together. If you found that scripture and you can and you will, would you stand to honor the reading of God's word as we get our scripture in front of us? John writes, Then I saw another great and awe-inspiring sign in heaven. Seven angels with the seven last plagues. For with them God's wrath will be completed. I also saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had won the victory over the beast, its image, and the number of its name were standing on the sea of glass with harps from God. They sang sang the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the Lamb. And here's the lyrics. Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of all the nations. Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are worthy. All the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, John writes, I I looked and the heavenly temple, the tabernacle of testimony, was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues, dressed in pure, bright linen with golden sashes wrapped around their chest. One of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls. Some may say vows. Filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Then the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that I pray that you will be among us in such a way today that we can sense and know and feel your presence. Thank you for the lyrics of each piece of music that we sang. Thank you that you heard those, that your name is above every name, that you are our gentle shepherd, and that you want to send heaven down to fill our souls. I pray that you'll do it. I pray that you'll give us an assurance that when you met out your judgment, that because of our relationship to your son Jesus, that we do not have to worry. And yet at the same time, I pray that you'll give us the burden for those that we know who are going to experience what we're about to talk about. Speak to our hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Most of the time when we go to the book of the Revelation, we go looking for the wrong things. We go there with the wrong attitude. 
It's kind of like people go to church sometime and they leave and they go, Todd, they go, I didn't get anything out of that. And you know what the first question you should ask somebody who says that to you? Well, what did you put in it? You see, sometimes we go to the book of Revelation. All we want, we want a, a calendar that we can look at to know this event, this event, this event, this event, then this event. Or, or, we, want, or we want to encourage ourselves that we kind of got a handle on the signs of the time. And yet, here's what I will tell you from the bottom of my heart. That is not the reason that the book of the Revelation was written. We need to change our thinking. The reason the the book of the Revelation was written is found in the title of the book, Revelation, the unveiling. It is the unveiling of Jesus, who He is in all His glory. It is the unveiling of His love, His grace, His mercy, and yet His determination even his invitation, because Jesus still invites everyone in this room today to know him in a personal way. And you will meet him one day. You will meet him face to face one day. You have the choice. You can come today and meet Him. And trust Him. Or you can meet Him later and be terrified of Him. You can meet Him today and He will be your advocate. Or you can meet Him one day and He will be your adversary. You can come to Him today and He will be your life. Or you can come to Him one day and He will be your death. And all of that is about the preparation that you make to meet Him. Just because mom and dad have faith, just because your sister or your brother have sold out to Jesus, does not guarantee you right standing before Him when you meet Him One day he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of God, the one who lived and died and paid the price for your sin, and he lives today. He's not just a good prophet. He's not just a good man. He is the Son of God. In preparation for the judgment today, as I look at at this text, I see six pictures that I want to share with you. And us glean some understanding from. The first picture we find in verse 1, it says, Then I saw another great and awe-inspiring sign. I want you to see the sign. The first picture we see is a sign. Now, signs in the Scripture are not new to us. In fact, just a few chapters earlier in, in chapter 12, John saw... Two signs. Jesus revealed two signs to him in that one chapter. Back in Matthew, the disciples asked Jesus to show us a sign of the end times. Signs are not really new to this, but here's what I'm going to tell you is that the sign here is tough. I saw an awe-inspiring sign. Here's what the sign is. Seven angels with seven plagues. For with them, God's wrath 
will be completed. Basically, when John sees this sign, it tells him that all the things that's been going on until now has been a precursor to what's about to happen. He tells him that the, that the world is about to be judged. That's, that's, the, that's what he is gleaning from this. You see, the Jews of the day understood this thing of signs. They, they wanted signs. For us, as the born again, as the regenerated, as, as blood-bought people, signs give us a message, if you will, a hint that it's almost over. If the world were to end in the next ten minutes, where would you go? Well, Brother Jerry, I'm a church member. That's good. It's not enough, but it's good. Well, Brother Jerry, I'm here today. That's good. It's not enough. For you see, who we are in Jesus, how we have, how we have given ourselves to Jesus is going to be the sign of whether we go or not. You know, signs today, you look around us, you know what's happening? This world is walking away from Jesus left and right. Walking away from God left and right. I don't expect this crowd on this first three or four rows to remember this, but I'll tell you, older folks will remember, wasn't too many years ago we were in a presidential race, kind of like we are to now, and one of our two major parties, I will not say which one it was, you will know, one of our two major parties wrote God's name out of their platform. Now, there was a day in America if that would have happened, that would have been the end of that party. Now, admittedly, because of the public outcry, they had to go back and reword it and put his name back in there. But here's what I'm going to tell you. I don't think they ever invited him back in. You see, the truth is, that's a sign that we're, looking, that we're looking at today. The sign that John saw was a sign that the plagues held by the seven angels, and we'll get there in just a second, for some way he knew this was the end of the end. The signs. If you look on in your Bible, the second thing that I see here is the word see, the see, S-E-A. Verse 2, he says, I also something, saw something like. Now, did you get that? I saw something like. It's not he said he saw a sea um, of glass mixed with fire. He said, I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And what in the world could that be that he's looking at? Can I just make you a suggestion from my study? That sea of glass represents the Word of God. Here on earth, before the rapture, the Word of God is living, it's powerful, it's liquid. It is the Word of God that washes us. It is the Word of God that, that uh, speaks to us no matter who we are, no matter where we are. Post-rapture, we now see the Word of God has now crystallized. It's crystallized, and now the martyrs are standing on the Word. The people have to stand on the Word, on the truth. And you say, well, Brother Jerry, it's, it's the Word of God mixed with fire. What does that mean? Well, I can give you a couple of suggestions there. 
The Word of God has been under fire as long as I remember. They've been trying to destroy God's Word since it was written. In America today, you can do a lot of things in uh, the public square, but you better not use the Word of God. I think it's hilarious. Not hilarious. I think it's sad. It's comical to me, the, the uh, uh, hypocrisy of it, that above our Supreme Court justices are the Ten Commandments. But the local courts can't put Ten Commandments on the property. Does anybody find that kind of weird? And it's because, one by one, little by little, they're trying to eradicate the Word of God from our lives. They've already done their best to eradicate it from our education system. We were told many years ago, you give me the kids until they're eight, and I'll have them for life. We've... We've eradicated, and that's the Word of God on fire. The, the second thing that I would suggest to you as we get to, to Revelation 15 is that that Word of God on fire, he says it's a sea of glass mixed with fire, is that now, post-rapture, now post-seals, post-trumpet judgment, about to be the vile judgments, is that now the Word of God becomes fiery judgment to the people in the world who have rejected him. You see, you see, God is patient, God is loving, God is kind. But there is, an, there is a limit to his judge, to his love. In fact, it's Genesis 6 says, uh, I will not strive with man forever. So if you think, if you think that you can continue to live like you want and not give him first place in your life, just remember his patience is not uh, eternal. There will be a time when he will judge. But when I think of standing on this, this sea of glass, it brings me to the third picture, which I would suggest to you. This is a subtle picture. This is not a picture that you just pick it up one time and read and find it, but it's what I'm going to call the saints. And you go, Brother Jerry, I don't see the saints mentioned there. Well, watch this. Hang on. He says, I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire and those, those who had won, those who had won the victory over the beast. There's the saints, this image and the name. And they were standing on the sea of glass. These saints are those folks who quite likely have been martyred during the, during the uh, tribulation. You know, too often... Too often, people have the wrong idea about saints. Some denominations, you have to die before you can be a saint. Eric, you ready to be a saint? Not then. You got to die. You going to be going to be a saint? You want to go ahead and die? Okay. Can anybody help me? He's going to want to die up here. No. The truth is, is that Jesus tells us that, and Paul tells us that when you receive Christ. That you become a saint. That you move from being a saint to a sinner. I know Bill Gaither's song speaks to our heart. It's got a great emotional pull. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, no, brothers. If you're saved by grace, you're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. That'd been a good place for an amen. You see, the truth is, is that the saints have won the battle. They have won the victory over, over the beast. They're probably martyred and killed by the beast. And you go, wait a minute, Brother Jerry. 
How are they? How did they win the victory if they were killed? Anybody thought about that? How did they win the victory if they were killed? Well, here's here's what I'm going to tell you. We're thinking like men and women. If we're going to see the victory here, we have to think like Jesus. I mean, Paul echoed it. He goes, for me to live is Christ. But for me to die is gain. You see, the martyrs saw that it wasn't the end of life when the beast put them to physical death, but it was the beginning of life. It's like I say in many funerals. What we call the end, they're calling the beginning. What we call sunset, they call sunrise. What we call death, they call life. That is the saints. You see, you see, Satan probably killed them and thought he had won the battle. Have I lost y'all already? Are y'all with me? They thought that Satan killed them and thought he had won the battle. Huh. That wasn't the first time he put somebody in the ground, thought he had won. There was an old rugged cross on a hillside. Killed Jesus, got him in the ground. Got the grave sealed. Probably shook his hands and go, yeah, now we got guards there. But he didn't win that victory. Jesus won the victory when he came back. When the God's people pass from this life, Satan does not win the victory. The saints win the victory. The saints know better. Now, now when I read this, this is, this is incredible. When I read this about the saints, and they're standing on the Word of God, likely these are martyred saints. And they got their harps of God. They do, what, they do what comes naturally to saints. Now, men, you better hang on to your seatbelt right here because I'm about to shoot where you're sitting. I wouldn't harm you for all the tea in China, but I'm about to shoot where you're sitting. Men, ladies, maybe you too. You know what the saints do? They do the most natural things that saints do. And that's my fourth picture that I see here, the song. They break out and singing. Did you know saints sing? And it doesn't matter. The most natural thing for a saint to do is to sing. Now, and, and the singing that they do here may be closer to any old songs that we've ever seen because they're singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Now, the song of Moses, let's just, before I really unpack this, the song of Moses was the song of deliverance. They Think about this. Here's the story. Moses brought the children of Israel to the Red Sea. Say amen so I know you're listening to me. Okay. Brought the children of Israel to the Red Sea. Now here's what's happened. God told them to go that way, across the Red Sea on the other side. And there's a sea there, and behind them is their enemy. So they're trapped. Did y'all get that? Can y'all see that picture? They're trapped. And so God provided them a way. They didn't even get their feet muddy. They walked across on dry ground. 
And here's what I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, when you feel trapped in your spiritual life, teenagers, it's important for you to hear. When you are trapped in your spiritual life, listen, God will make a way if you'll depend on him. Now, God may not make the way if you try to figure it out and do it on your own. Moses knew he couldn't, so he lifted his rod over that Red Sea, and that Red Sea did what God told it to do. And they walked across on dry ground, and then they took care of the enemies when they came through. Now watch this. On the other side of the Red Sea, that's where you'll find the song of Moses. It's a song of victory. It's a song of deliverance. And you sing. Here's what I'm going to say to you. Saints have to sing. Now, every saint, I want to say this again. Every saint should sing. (laughs) Every saint should sing. I know you don't believe it. Every saint should sing. Boy, Eric, I hope you don't have that much trouble getting the saints to sing, okay? The truth is, saints, you know why the saints should sing? Because they've been delivered. Because they have been saved. It's a song of deliverance, of courage, of strength. The true saints of God can't help themselves. Now, that includes men. That includes men. The truth is, the truth is, men will sit in a service like this and they will dare you to try to make them sing. I don't know that song. I don't like that song. I don't want to know that song. It's not about whether you want to know it, whether you like it. It's a matter if Jesus is in your heart. There's not one lyric that we sing, and I want to say this, as a compliment to Eric, he and I have had many conversations about this. We look at the lyrics that we're saying. You may not like the style, but you've got to love the message because it's all about Jesus. It's all about God. It's all about worship. It's all about giving Him honor and glory. If you can't sing men or women, something's happened. This might be the place to just stop and have an invitation and say, maybe you need to come and lay it on the altar that you don't sing from the bottom of your heart. It's not about everybody being a soloist. It's about everybody being saved. Sing from the bottom of your heart because he's done something in your heart. Perhaps we need to come and pray, Lord, why do I no longer feel like I have a song? Why do I no longer feel like I have something to sing? What happened to my song? Who took my song? I can tell you who took your song. If you, don't, if you have been saved, if, you've been, if you have been genuinely born again in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you don't have a song, I'm going to tell you who took it. Satan. Because that's what he wants to do. You can't go out and live a life of sin and have a heart so full that you sing to him. The enemy will take your song in subtle ways. In ways you you never think of. If we let Jesus change us, we will be like these martyrs who have been been, uh, killed. 
And look at this. They've been killed and look at their rejoicing. Great and awe inspiring are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of all the nations. We can make that into a song if it's really in our heart. If it's not in our heart, we can't fabricate it. The song. The next picture that comes to my mind is a picture that we painted, took a whole message talking about numerology. It's what I want to tell you that I see the seven. The seven. We see the seven listed in verses one, verses six and seven. The number seven is huge in the Bible. In Genesis 2, we can get our foundation for it. Because in Genesis 2, it gives us a picture of perfection. The creation, it was perfected. It gives us a picture of completion. It's all done. It, it, even, it even gives us a picture of, are you listening? Rest. He worked six days and he rested. If you do not listen to another thing that I'm going to say, please take to heart what I'm about to tell you. This number seven comes, it began with the, he created the world in seven days. Six days he worked, seven days, the seventh day he rested. Just so that nobody is confused. God didn't rest because he was tired. God rested because he knew the creation that he had made was going to need rest. Brothers and sisters, that may be one of the big things that we break in the Bible today. There is not a person in here, your pastor included. We put enough miles on our car the last week and in the next three days for a lifetime. Here's what I'm going to tell you. You will never be all that God wants you to be in his kingdom, for his kingdom, for him. Are you listening, teenagers? I know you like to feel every minute of every day doing something. God designed us for rest. It's called a Sabbath rest. We need to find a way to return to some rest. I was reading this morning about Samuel. I thought it was pretty intriguing. He and Eli were laying down in the middle of the afternoon when God said, Samuel, Samuel. And so Samuel gets up and he runs to Eli and he says, you wanted something? He goes, I know, my mouth. Go back and lay down. He did that three times. And on the third time, Eli said, uh, Sam, Samuel, listen, next time you hear the voice while you're laying, go back and lay down. Go back and get you a nap. Sometimes the most spiritual things that you could do in your life is take a nap. Because you need a rest. He sent him back. And he said, Samuel, this time when the Lord speaks to you, think about this. He's laying down resting so he can hear and listen. And God says, Samuel, Samuel. He says, here I am, Lord, speak. That struck me this morning, even as I was reading it and thinking about this message. Maybe the reason we don't hear God's voice so much is that we're not giving him a chance to speak to us. 
we're filling every minute of every day with something. And maybe sometimes we just need to lay down and rest. The sevens, perfection, creation, rest. Now, you can look through the Bible and you can find seven all through the Bible. It has to do with when they were telling you before modern medicine, if you got a particular skin disease or something, they told you to give it seven days. If you got something else, they told you to give it seven days. You have, you have one seven after another seven after another seven. Got the seven days in Genesis. You have, you have, you forgive your neighbor seven times. You, you, you purified. It talks about silver being purified seven times. If you owe your neighbor something, if you took something from your neighbor, you pay back sevenfold. Seven is the perfect number. And it was with this understanding that when, when John saw those seven angels and those seven plagues, because it was a number of completion, he knew it wasn't good for earth. He knew something was about to happen catastrophically, supernaturally catastrophically. And so, if you look down in verses, um, if you look down in verses six and seven, it says, "Out of the temple came here. They are seven angels with seven plagues, and they're dressed appropriately: pure, bright linen, golden sashes around them, really royalty. One of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven bowls filled with, filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever." You see, judgment was about to be meted out. This time it was going to be lost people in punishment, saved people in paradise. It's coming to a close. And so when the seven angels come out, we see number six there. We see the sovereign God. Sovereign God. Verse 8, and then the temple was filled with smoke. Watch this. As it's coming together, the temple filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. Man, can't you imagine being in a building where the presence of God was like that? I think of Second Chronicles chapter 7. Most of us know 714. If my people who call by my name will humble themselves and pray. But most people don't realize that that Solomon had just prayed this incredible prayer as they were dedicating the temple. And when he got through praying, the first part of that chapter says, And the glory and power of God filled the temple so that the priest could not do their work. Can you imagine? We gathering on a morning and God showing up in such a way that we couldn't even sing, that we couldn't even pray. Because his power was so thick. Face to face with him. Sovereign God. We come together too often. We think about ourselves. We think about all the things that go on with us. Instead of giving attention to the one who's about. It filled the temple. And no one could enter the temple until... It had all happened. 
This morning I was sitting there and Pud always comes by my office and always feels bad because I'm in the middle of something studying for the service. This morning, just before Pud stuck his head in, as I was reading this and, and, and studying, getting ready for today, I was wondering how I was going to end this. And just before he stuck your head in, Pud, it came to me. So I came back in here and I put a seventh one. You don't have this on your bulletin, but you can write it down. The seventh picture is the whole scene. Can you imagine stepping back and seeing that whole scene? The angels coming out, being given seven bowls, seven plagues. Seeing the sea of glass with the saints standing on the sea. Hearing the song of the, of the martyred. Hearing the song of Moses and hearing the song of the Lamb. And there being seven of them so you know it's in perfection because God's in control. When we see the picture of that, we know the earth is about to be judged. Now, here's what I want to say to us. That's biblical. Just read it, but let me tell you this, it's personal. Because when you see the scene, now you're accountable to him. This morning you've seen the scene. My question is, if the rapture occurred before we got out of this building, would you go? Would you be left? Would you be left to encounter all the things that have gone on and are going to happen on this earth? Or would you be caught away to sing with the saints and angels forever? Choice is yours. The preparation is today. Judgment is coming. Let's pray.